0: Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to TheRestispolitics.com. That's TheRestispolitics.com.
1: Hello and welcome to The West is Politics Question Time with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Ast Campbell. We received over 1,000 questions this week. Huge thanks to all those who took time to write in on Twitter and email. OK, Alistair, um, where do you want to start this week? I think you said, uh, just as we were finishing yesterday, that that we hadn't got on to Japan, which we promised to. Should we have a little chance to talk about Shinzo Abe in Japan?
0: Yeah, and then and also uh, we, we talked about Sri Lanka and we had a few questions on, on that, so we should do that as well. I mean, Shinzo Abe, incredibly sad and... I mean, he was, you know, not exactly my kind of politician. He was a right wing nationalist. Um, he, but he, but he was, he was an extraordinary figure because Japan, where we a bit, a little bit like, you know, that yes, there's a, a dominant ruling party, but they did kind of change their prime ministers quite a lot. And he had two terms in office and between them became Japan's longest serving prime minister. And one of the best things about Japanese politics, they have incredibly a bit, a little bit i think even closer than ours campaigning is very much out with the people and he was out on the campaign stump there's all these questions now about why didn't he have better security but that's kind of how they campaign and they have very 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 tough gun laws so you know you can't i think you have to have psychological checks to have a gun you even have to you, have, you can't have a gun if you've had a criminal record you you even have your neighbors interviewed by police yeah yeah. And the neighbours have a right of saying, no, 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 we don't think you should have a yeah. gun. And this guy, the, the, the
1: guy made his own gun. I think you can see that in, in the pictures. Yeah. But the other thing that was interesting about it is... Let's just, just on that one for a second. Um, Obviously, some incredibly distasteful American Republicans are trying to suggest this shows that gun laws don't make any difference. But that isn't true at all. In fact, actually, the gun laws have made an enormous difference. And, and well, they, this, had, they, had
0: three, they, they had In 2017,
1: they had three gun-related deaths in the entirety of Japan. And and this is a, that's a very important figure, and and also assassinations in Japan incredibly rare. I mean, there was mm. there was a, there was one famous attempt in nineteen, nineteen uh, sixties, and then a mayor was killed in the early two thousands over a personal affair. But this is not normal in Japanese politics. It's a horrifying mm. thing. Japanese politics very similar to British politics, actually, real proper parliamentary system. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of the seats first past the post. Two chambers. A monarchy, of course. Mm-hmm. An island state. Unlike British politics, although I think you tend to say the Conservative Party become a bit like this, but the domination of the Liberal Democratic Party, which is their right-wing party in Japanese politics, has been extraordinary. Mm. Um, I think it's called, I'm going to get the date wrong, it's something called the, like, the 1952 system, but essentially... 1950,
0: well, I think 1955 was their first win. And of course, Abe's grandfather on his mother's side, he was he was a prime minister. He came from a very, very, very political party actually rory i've got a little uh, I, I, as you know i like to catch you out on your knowledge because you do have a lot of knowledge but i'll give you a million pounds which i don't have to give that's how confident i am <laughs> i'll give you a million pounds if you could tell me what medical connection i have with shinzo abe
1: um you both god this is a chance for a million pounds is this the thing that shinzo abe claimed to resign for in his first term he left You have five up. seconds he left you up. you're seconds. worried you're going to lose you your have million five pounds seconds out. you're five, really worried four, i'm gonna win three, a million pounds two one it Is was ulcerative colitis i was,
0: was gonna win a million pounds How you were you so done? close you were so close no he had he had Thank
1: um goodness that you got in so quickly. That's right oh so And was- he resigned for ulcerative colitis, I said that was the reason he was stepping down after only a year in office. I could have been I do you know if I'd won that, I would not have been in this airport hotel. I, no, in but, the future, I would have been traveling luxury. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you always pay your debts. Otherwise, the, 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 Rory, the real absolutely. Rory would have been absolutely. pretty cross absolutely. with you if you had delivered. He hadn't would have delivered. been very
0: cross. He would have yep. been very cross. Yep. But he, um, no, he had ulcerative colitis, which I had for a long period of time. And we were on the same medication, Asacol, <laughs> And I had a kind of miraculous recovery because my doctor told me you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. And it, eventually it risks becoming Crohn's disease which is quite a depressing thought. And then, so I had to go for these annual checkups. And then one year it just went. And something similar happened to Abe. He actually stepped down and then the colitis cleared up. And that's when he then went back in. It did come back with him, I think. Um, I don't know why I'm telling my medical history in the story about
1: a assassination. And we'll get, we'll get off your near-miss there, back onto Nobosuke Kishi. Um, so it's very, it's difficult to analyze somebody else's politics. And I, I'm sure I'm getting something wrong because one looks at another country. But it does seem with Shinzo Abe something very old fashioned about it. His father was the foreign minister and, uh, he was, um, his father's aide. His grandfather, as you pointed out, Nobusuke Kishi, was the prime minister. Nobusuke Kishi's brother was also the prime minister. <laughs> And, and, and Abe had also been the
0: cabinet secretary, which is reckoned to be like deputy prime minister. I mean, they're, they're, they're very, they're quite and,
1: tight. And, the and, and then if we reach back, so Nobusuke Kishi, I think the other thing to say is that he was a serious war criminal. Nobusuke Kishi, uh, his grandfather, was the Japanese economic administrator of Manchuria mm. in China in the lead up to the Second World War. And he ran an economic policy where he brought in Japanese industrial companies to drive up economic productivity, and essentially ran slave labor camps. Mm. They had to replace tens of thousands of Chinese workers a year who simply died through Mm. starvation and overwork. And Nobusuke Kishi partied in Shanghai with prostitutes and big drinking, very, very brilliant man. He passed out top from Tokyo University, came from the samurai family that got into sake brewing. So it, it's a reminder with, as I suppose is true, with German politics in the immediate post-war period, how much of this still looms over Japanese politics.
0: Well, I, th- I, I, tell, you, I tell you something which I think could be part of the, the fallout of, of Abe's assassination, because one of Abe's big things was trying to change the constitution, very resonant of the German debate, so that Japan could be a much more active military power. Um, he wanted. He was constantly trying to increase defence spending and being and being blocked. But actually, in part of the sort of, you know, because it, it's been you can imagine the coverage in Japan has been utterly enormous. And they had they had the elections he was campaigning in, they did much better than was expected, and they they attribute that to his death. And likewise, now the the, the debate about defence spending and the military posture, particularly vis-a-vis China, and also their, you know I think they're a little bit worried sometimes about their relations with India as well. So whether that actually will have a a more lasting impact, I think I think is a, is is an interesting question.
1: And he, of course, created this thing called the Quad, which is um, in that case was was Australia, U.S., India, Japan, to try to see what they could do to, to advance. Uh, yeah, so I I think that's yeah, and no, I think it could be really really interesting. Tell us tell us a little, yeah, Sri Lanka a little bit because I haven't been following Sri Lanka. I know much less about it than you do.
0: There's a question from Angus. I live in Sri Lanka. I was at the protest um, at the weekend is there any country that's been through similar corruption financial crisis uh, foreign currency run debt default and come through on the other side now, there was then somebody called hippogriff who said that, who recommended indonesia as a possible answer to that question but it's a good question isn't it i mean this is a this is a crisis which is going to have Really, really long-standing consequences for. And that, I know is the statement of the obvious, but even thinking about how they get from where they are now, the president has vanished. They think he may be on a naval vessel yeah. somewhere. Yeah. The pri- his, and his. I, I, it was hard not to laugh at those pictures of all the protesters diving. Because I away believe he's just
1: resigned. I believe he's now. Well, they've
0: announced months. he's resigning. Right. Uh, whether he has or not. I mean, I think there's, there's so little trust now that people don't believe it. And it was the speaker. Unless something's happened overnight, it was the speaker. Of the parliament, who announced that he was resigning, because the speaker is the one who is third in line. So, if the president and the prime minister both go, then <laughs> it's the speaker who's, who's lined up. And is this
1: something you would want to you would want to take on? The, 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 I mean, these, these Sri Lanka is a, a really interesting country because, in some ways, it was a source of huge optimism. You know, obviously, horrifying civil war, uh, and then a, a moment of real economic uh, recovery but has been very unlucky in some ways. I mean, hit horribly by the tsunami. Um, uh, Had this very bizarre experiment that we talked about, I think, on the show, where they decided to go full organic farming. And there was a moment where The president was absolutely heralded by bits of the environmental movement around the world for being... He banned fertiliser, didn't he? That's it. Well, because unfortunately, to create the amount of manure that would have been required to fertilise the fields would have required seven times the number of cows Mm. that are actually in Sri Lanka. I mean, that type of real sort of, he was going for a very old fashioned type of organic farming, obviously, is just not as intensive. You just can't grow as much food. There's another lesson in here for uh, the Tory leadership
0: contenders, because... President uh, Rajapashkar, uh, One of the other things that is now being put into the, the scales of judgment against him were massive tax cuts in 2019, yep. which cost cost them 1.4 billion, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and are now seen as one of the reasons why the economy
1: went foot. Well, I mean, boy, here's an example of radical politics. I mean, it's a big bet on organic farming. I mean, may be being a bit unfair to say they couldn't produce food with those methods, but they certainly needed a long, much longer transition to do it safely and those radical tax cuts. And I think a real warning to politicians who think that being bold and radical is necessarily the way to go. Now, here we are. David Pearson, what is the strangest experience you've had at a political event or meeting? I was coordinating Xi Jinping and David Cameron's 2015 visit to a national football museum in Manchester. Just out of view of these VIPs, one member of the British security staff tried to gently move a Chinese counterpart to one side. The Chinese security official reacted by wrestling his British counterpart to the ground. The two men in suits continued fighting, were finally dragged out of the room by their team. So this is kind of amazing. So the British security guy goes up to the Chinese bodyguard and Chinese bodyguard, at which point does some amazing martial arts move. Uh well Xi <laughs> Jinping and David Cameron are walking around the National Football Museum. Gone. what's your strangest experience at a football event, a political event or meeting? Uh,
0: uh, oh god, i done hundreds of them. The one that p- popped into my mind when, when you were telling that story was I remember um, on a trip once with Trevor, who was Margaret Thatcher's special brunch guy. And we were with the lots of the Americans, and we were, it was a presidential thing. And the American security service were going on about it. Can't understand how you how you guys manage. You know, just a handful of you guys looking. You know, we've got five hundred guys out here, and we've got you know, we've got we've got a thousand on standby. And the security is so intense nobody would ever dare get near Reagan at the time. And uh, I remember Trevor just uh, just sitting there and he's sitting back, and he just said, "Oh well, we've never lost one." <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was a nice way of putting the American Secret Service in their place. Listen, I want to read out my question of the week. John, question It, week. T- it takes us. We, we, we did a lot yesterday on the Tory leadership election, but the question of the week is from Andy Soars. Is there even one Tory leadership candidate who isn't an arsehole, wasn't a Johnson apologist, has some sense of what the economy actually needs, and doesn't have stupid ideas about the ECHR hunting or the metric system? Good okay, question, Rory. Let, 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 me, let me turn that around to you. What's your answer? I think they're all, I said yesterday, I think Sunak at least is trying to have a, from a different perspective to mine, but at least have a, a sort of serious debate about the economy. I do think the rest of them are just away with the fairies. They're just making promises I, they can't keep. And no. by the way, Sunak's doing that as well. And all the populist
1: cultural stuff. At, at this um, famous nightmare at Buxton, where I lost my wedding ring, I asked, uh, there were 950 people, I think, in the audience in the Opera House. And I did one of our NAF straw polls we keep doing at Live Affairs and asked <laughs> them um, who they'd vote for. And it was very, very interesting. I would say well over half of them stuck their hands up for Tom Tugendhat, about 15%, I'd say, for Rishi Sunak. And then almost nobody... For, for for almost all the other candidates now that may be that a literary festival in buxton tends to a, mm. attract a slightly more centrist. Lefty, audi- centrist lefty audience but it was it was an interesting thing presumably with sunak as well there's a lot of na- he's got name recognition in a way that
0: some of the others haven't similar question i, I was saying to you yesterday Roy, i think this leadership contest is going to anger so many people somebody with the wonderful name two stone of cellulite uh we are now enthralled to 120,000 aging tory farts whose brain functions have been rotted by the right wing press how on earth do we resist all this i think we should take a break on that one <laughs>
1: Here's one from Devon Airy. and it's a it's an odd one to ask you. <laughs> it's a sign of the direction the podcast may be going. My partner and I are huge fans for the podcast and got married last week. What advice would you give for a happy marriage? <laughs> oh my god! I would say don't listen to the rest is politics on your honeymoon.
0: <laughs> I think that would be that's a a very. very odd I think thing that's to an do. important one, and that's an important. I think, I think I say here's the advice, Rory. Yeah. And it's very difficult to follow. Yeah. But I think they should try to
1: disagree agreeably. That's good. That's good. That's good. I think that is... I think is, the other important yeah. thing
0: I'd say is
1: that... Do, 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 you, do you argue much, actually, at home? Are, is Fiona the sort of exception to the rule? Are you, are you not very argumentative at home?
0: No, we argue... We, we, Fiona, Fiona is um, Fiona is a great arguer. And, and she's very, very... Uh, she can be calm. She's incredibly kind. Um, but she yeah she 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 will always 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 hold her own no we have some, we've had some fierce arguments fierce and of course the worst thing i think this comes through in my diaries the worst periods of my life in working in in number 10 were when i wasn't enjoying work and we weren't getting on at home because of something related to work the iraq war being the being being the being the worst all. but no we have some pretty good arguments very good okay Excellent. you didn't give what about your advice don't lose your wedding ring
1: yeah yeah that's a really important bit of advice i i, I you know i think i'm not sure i mean i think they'll have to wait for our next podcast called rory and alistair's life advice on a happy marriage
0: um, <laughs> listen there's, there's one here as well this this extent to which everywhere we go at the moment we're bumping into people literally who are listening to this podcast one here from kamlesh Bava wants to, wanted to apologize because one of my three year old twins got in your way as you were trying to get through the king, the barrier at King's Cross Tube yesterday and then went on to say, do we need to stop? (laughs) <laughs> uh, con- constantly passing the baton to new Tory prime ministers without public involvement—we've covered so, that
1: one. Was, sorry, was it? Was it? Was it that? Was it me with a poor three-year-old that I ran over my wheelie bag trying to get to Heathrow at King's Cross, or was it you? At no, King's it, Cross? it was. It
0: was. This was when I was coming back from Newcastle after the after the rugby league. Here's a good one for you, Rory. As you're throwing difficult ones at me, Robert Slinger, Rory, how on earth did you fall for David Cameron's big society? It was a hollow slogan. It was all about getting the voluntary sector to
1: step in for 40% local authority cuts. Okay, let's let's do that one. So that's a proper serious one. And it's it's a bit more political than happy marriage. Um, The answer is that it wasn't about just the cover up for the cuts. It was something that he sincerely wanted to do before the financial crisis. And actually, one of the ways in which the whole thing was destroyed, though, is that, of course, it was implemented at the same time as austerity. So that very, very quickly, people said this whole thing is just a way of trying to push responsibility onto the voluntary sector to deal with the cuts. But what I think it had much more going for it, I think it had a really important message, which is that local people, I felt this again and again in Cumbria, I felt it when we were doing building social housing, we did community-led social housing, we did community broadband projects, we did community renewable energy projects. And the point is that there are many areas of life where local communities know more can do more, care more than distant officials, and I. We had some amazing successes of tapping the genius of communities because they were able to build far more low-income housing than the government would have been able to do in a much in a way that was much more acceptable to communities with nice designs in the right places and and tied into getting the renewable energy doing going, getting the broadband in, saving local pubs. So I'm a real big big society, unapologetic big society fan.
0: Okay, Robert, we'll look forward to you sending in your your views in response. David Benton, you were both kicked out of your parties inappropriately.
1: Uh, What conditions could you see that would make you rejoin? Okay, well, I'll, I'll come to rejoining to you in a second. But I think the inappropriate kicking out is important because I think British politics got away with not having a proportional representation system because these parties were broad coalitions. They were tolerant of many, many different voices in them, and they, they worked like that. And I think the risk of throwing out people because they don't agree, in the case of Alastair, it was absolutely about, about Brexit, in my case, basically uh, also about Brexit, but also because he was trying to get rid of the centre-left of the Conservative Party, is a very bad thing. And it's one of the reasons I think... We need to change our electoral system. If these parties are not prepared to include differences of opinion, not prepared to be broad coalitions, things go wrong. Come back to it, though. What would make you rejoin the Labour Party?
0: Um, I mean,
1: emotionally, I don't feel I left, really. I I wasn't happy during the Corbyn
0: period, that's true. But I do do see, with Keir Starmer, I can see a sense of direction and I can see a sense of purpose at the moment. I still think there's an awful lot they need to do better. I think I've, I've quite enjoyed the freedom of people knowing that I'm still Labour, but I don't feel maybe as bound as I would have done. I know you think I'm not critical enough, but I actually probably am more critical than I've ever been. Um, and I think that comes partly from freedom. Um, so I don't know really. I, and Fiona's the same. Fiona, she actually left the Labour Party before I was kicked out and that was over the anti-Semitism stuff. Um, and she says she's she's that, that sense of freedom doesn't mean you don't stop. I desperately want Labour to win the next election, desperate. And, I'll, I, and I will, you know... Uh, I will help them, but i, I, I joining the party i 'm not sure, and i one of the one of the other questions we got by the way was um, whether doing this podcast whether here we are James Marshall, what have you learned from each other? Has your politics changed since the podcast i think i 've definitely become in talking to you every week i 've definitely become more persuaded of the the and we, we talked about this on the on the main podcast this week that Johnson has been a a symptom as well as a cause
1: of the broken politics. And it's the politics that has to be fixed. Okay. Well, we, I think we're coming to the end, but one final, final question. Just, just are, a minute. Would yeah. you rejoin the, would you rejoin the Tory party? Uh, yes. With a right leader. Who, if I thought the party was actually becoming what I'm desperate for, a liberal unionist party, a party of the centre-right, more of a teal type party, I would definitely rejoin.
0: Well, that takes me to the question from Ruthless Cosmopolitan: Is the Conservative Party now so far to the right that the return of the death penalty is inevitable one day?
1: I pray not. But but you you are right that some of the dynamics that's emerging, some of the flattering, the harder right of the party, some of the populism does does worry me a bit. Um, let me just maybe finish. I I thought quite a, an an interesting question, which may be a good one to finish on. Um, which is about the police. Adam, as a serving police officer myself, I'd like to know what you think of the appointment of Mark Rowley as Met Commissioner, how Alice's government got on with John Stevens and how Rory would have approached them. Any, any reflections on how you got on with the John Stevens Metropolitan Police?
0: Uh, I think our relations with the police were reasonably good most of the time. Um, it's interesting talking to the police. When I was, I don't know if I told you this, when I was doing this TV programme, Make Me Prime Minister, we were filming down not far from Johnson's constituency, actually. And we're in this park, and two police vans arrived and a load of dogs got out and the police and that thought was quite interesting so and then there were two there was a policeman police police officer man and woman that came jumped out of the vans and the dogs were just kind of running around so I went over to talk to them we had a chat and um it turned out so they work for the for the dog the, the police dog section uh, and this is where they took them for a walk twice a day. And of course, you don't think about that. They've got 250 dogs. They have to take them for walks. So they're out walking the dogs. And so they were out. The dogs were walking around for about, I don't know, half an hour or so. So we ended up having quite a long chat. And it was really, really interesting. I mean, I, I feel very sorry for the police at the moment. I th- and, and, and I felt a lot sorrier after this. The woman was telling me that it is a very rare week where she does not get spat at. Um, it is very rare. And of course, now what's happening, they're getting abused in public. Friends of the people who are abusing them are filming it. They're trying to provoke them and so forth. And I do think that the extent to which, um, you know, the, the government, I think, is both in in relation to the health service workers and teachers and police officers these constant attacks on public servants. And I, I, think this whole sort of race to the bottom and, you know, we're going to pay for all my unfunded tax and spending promises by getting rid of
1: 20% of, of the civil service. They mean 20% of public service. So just, just to maybe finish on, on the, the John Stevens. Work, I'm a huge admirer of John Stevens. He was a really, I, I, I like him very much. I think he was an extraordinary police officer. He was somebody who led from the front, who was right there with the guys at three in the morning. I, I, he's actually written a very good book, which we I will put in the podcast. If people are interested in reading about policing. Um, maybe a bit old fashioned from the point of view of, of some people, but I thought was a really positive force in the Metropolitan Police. And I think we do need a bit of that again. I think there has been a bit of a loss of confidence. I think it's, uh, Crested Dick was a highly intelligent, I think dedicated public servant, but a lot of things went wrong. I, th- I think I still
0: think, by the way, even though listen, lots of things went really wrong, badly wrong. But I still I do think that the you know both Priti Patella's Home Secretary, uh, successive mayors have found the police quite an easy political target, and I think that's making police very very difficult. And one of the saddest things this this police officer said to me, she said, "I don't know a police officer at the moment who would recommend to their kids." they go into the police it's so
1: sad and and you hear it but you i'd say the same about politics the same about the foreign office same about teaching it's very very sad across the board i think there's a lot of improvements that can come with the police i think it's an amazing potential organization but i'm hopeful the new met commissioner is going to be able to get it back to the basics and restore some of that confidence um thank you all i think we all now have to run for our various airplanes from our airport hotels Um, and then then plant some trees And then go and plant some trees. Thank you all again for listening uh, from me, Rory Stewart, and... Me, Alistair Campbell.
0: And um, (laughs) keep looking for Rory's ring. We have to find the Rory's ring. um, And I'll just go and cuddle my bike. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.